Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. For like the first three years of Olipop, I was pretty ignorant to what was happening in culture. It didn't matter for us in the world of like talent and music and entertainment. We just weren't big enough to entertain that stuff. And I see that issue with a lot of early stage brands. They want to do those things because it's interesting and you know it's very easy to get caught up in the world of celebrity and talent, but it's playing that card at the right time as a business is extremely important. And if you do it too early, you won't reap the benefits of some of those type of partnerships. And if you candidly never do it at all, that, that's also fine. There's many brands who've scaled to become very big businesses without kind of tapping into culture. But as a soda business, wanting to ultimately go up against kind of Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper long-term, we need to play in places that that they play. We couldn't pigeonhole ourselves into, you know, the world of like Whole Foods and the natural channel, so to speak. Email marketers, fed up with bounced emails? Get your bounce rate below 2% by verifying your emails with zero bounds. Identify 30 plus email types with 99% accuracy guarantee. Visit www.zerobounds.net and use promo code millennials20 for 20% off today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. Today, I'm here with Steven, Head of Growth at Olipop. You may have seen Olipop all around at the, your local store, trying to beat out the bad Diet Coke market right now, which I'm off the sauce now. Almost 30 days clean of Diet Coke, so it's good that Olipop's coming into the picture to help me with that. Welcome to the pod. <laughs> Thank you for having me, and uh, congratulations on your 30 days of sobriety, I guess that word works for this situation. <laughs> I want to go into how did you get into like running growth? How do you get into the position you are today? Uh, so my quick background, I was in the venture capital world for three years, investing in better for you consumer brands prior to the Olipop journey starting. And I was meeting with 20 to 30 founders a week and we were, you know, investing in a lot of businesses at the time. And I just learned a lot, honestly, through those conversations. You can, you know, founders are a wealth of knowledge and the most interesting people, in my opinion. And um, I just got to pick their brands for three years and learned a lot about what the successful businesses at the time were doing, which was and kind of still is leaning into kind of these new age media channels. You know, Facebook was a lot easier to advertise on at the time. And I yeah, was just watching the proliferation of influencer marketing takeoff. And it seemed like the best businesses were really good at that. And along with storytelling and having a good product and all that jazz. And so when I kind of got involved at Olipop, one of my goals here was to learn digital marketing and, and influencer marketing for us. And as we've kind of grown, I am very fortunate that I've got a quite a good network from my time in venture. And even that's, you know, compounded probably 10 times over here at Olipop. And so my role has kind of always been this like Swiss Army knife figured out type person who's just like naturally very curious. And so I sort of <laughs> sort of just fell into it because we didn't have a role scope for me when I joined originally. It was just like, figure it out. And five years later here, it's still kind of just figure it out. My role really has completely evolved basically every six months I've been at the company. But 
just like looking backwards and, you know, for advice for earlier stage businesses or people just getting off the ground, like I do think there's a lot of value in having someone who is can sort of be a catch all and can just jump on things and hopefully figure things out quickly. And so, yeah, that's just sort of kind of backed into it. I also am very involved with the fundraising side of Olipop too. So have been fortunate to kind of lead a lot of those efforts and have met a lot of really cool people through that who ended up becoming like various partners and both marketing and influencer partners in the business. So it all kind of like dovetails together in a random way. Yeah. I mean, every company, I feel like especially in startups, needs someone who's a switch throwing knife that can, when something is broken or something needs to be fixed or something needs to grow, they someone will hop on it because it's hard to find talent at that stage and also there's a lot a lot of doers out there so it's cool that was like what frustrated me the most with being in venture is like you are at the end of the day you know making an investment and then you're an advisor you're an outsider and i was like obsessed with getting involved with the portfolio companies after we invested and it is very much of like there are those who tell people what to do and then there are those who do the doing and i definitely fall into the into the latter bucket i kind of hate being on the outside of anything <laughs> And so it's been very rewarding to be on the doing side of the kind of, you know, operator investor relationship, so to speak. One thing that we chatted before this podcast, but one thing you really good at is having a pulse on culture and understanding where to market and where the eyeballs are. So could you talk a little bit about how you thought about that when joining Olipop and what some cool things you've done? Yeah. So I'd say my answer to this question would be totally different now than it was a year ago and two years ago and three years ago. And when we were just starting out, we were just selling in grocery stores in California and like finger on the pulse of culture and things like that, like a didn't really matter for us at that point, but also would have been a waste of my time to focus on. Um, I think when you're building and you're just getting off the ground, it's all about like finding product market fit and figuring out who your customer is and like why they like like or don't like the product, why they do or don't like the packaging. And so I would honestly say for like the first three years of Olipop, I was pretty ignorant to what was happening in culture. It didn't matter for us in the world of like talent and music and entertainment. We just weren't big enough to entertain that stuff. And I see that issue with a lot of early stage brands. They want to do those things because it's interesting and, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in the world of celebrity and talent, but it's, playing that card at the right time as a business is extremely important. And if you do it too early, you won't reap the benefits of some of those type of partnerships. And if you candidly never do it at all, that, that's also fine. There's many brands who've scaled to become very big businesses without kind of tapping into culture. But as a soda business, wanting to ultimately go up against kind of Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper long-term, we need to play in places that, that they play. We couldn't pigeonhole ourselves into you know, the world of like Whole Foods and the natural channel, so to speak. So two years ago, we kind of made the decision as a business that we'd start kind of poking around in the world of like talent and culture. And in our Series B, we brought in a handful of kind of major celebrity investors, Camila Cabello, the Jonas Brothers, Gwyneth Paltrow, Bruno Mars, and then started, you know, getting to know those people over the subsequent 12, 18 months to figure out how we wanted to work with them, if at all. And, you know, now we're 20,000 plus stores across the country. We're in every Walmart, every Target, every Kroger. And we have that kind of distribution reach that warrants doing, you know, culturally relevant marketing is what I would call it. And so probably the best example over the last two years has been, or kind of the, the best two examples would be just leaning into TikTok and we can dive into that. It's just where the eyeballs are and where the culture is right now. But more specifically, we just kind of had a 
pretty high profile product placement in the um, Ice Spice and Nicki Minaj Barbie music video that came out in at the very end of June, just ahead of the Barbie movie release here in July. And it was awesome. And it was one of those, you know, just from like a marketing perspective, there was no production cost from us. We did it all kind of through the label and the production company. And there's no media costs on a partnership like that. So you kind of like put pay a one-time fee, get to in the video, you know, hopefully you end up with a good placement in the video. And then the label and the artists are out marketing that video for you. And so again, it's kind of specific to us as a soda brand. The placement in the video worked really well. The whole video was pink themed, obviously. And, you know, I think we're the only soda brand with a pink canned flavor. Our strawberry vanilla is pink. And so it just fit the palette of the video perfectly. And, you know, that is in three weeks north of 50 million views between the video and clips of the placement on social. Nicki Minaj actually posted the clip of us in it on her feed, which was not, you know, something that was even supposed to be part of the partnership, but the placement was so good, it just worked out. And so, you know, it basically allowed us to associate with Barbie, which is everywhere right now. It's probably the biggest marketing story of the year. And associated with Nicki Minaj, who's obviously massive, Ice Spice, who's probably the number one up and coming hip hop artist in the country right now, in a really authentic way that, you know, consumers seem to really respond well to. And all through a channel that is not advertising, right? You're not like selling anybody anything. It's not telling anybody to buy it. It's just kind of a cool, creative way to show up in culture without it looking like an ad, which I think is really important for a consumer product like ours. Yeah, I want to, one thing you said also is like, Coke and Pepsi have been doing this for years now, almost 50 years, placing their product in relevant movies and stuff like that. So what are some inspirations that you took from them and how have you like zagged away from what they've done in the past? Yeah, good question. Um, I've honestly studied, you know, and not even just me, we as a business have studied Coke and Pepsi extensively. I look up to them. I think Coke is like one of the best marketers ever. And I don't think too many people would disagree with that. They've ingrained themselves in culture and, you know, tying, you know, their marketing and their communication into core memories and nostalgia and polar bears, obviously. It's just like, if you look at the natural channel and you look at like the kombucha market as an example, most of the marketing is, you always know, kind of like joke and trying like rainbows and dolphins and, you know, benefiting the world and your gut health. And like the reality is most consumers, especially soda drinkers, they don't want a health pitch. They don't want to kind of be beaten over the head with functional benefits and how much you're saving the world. They just want a product that, that tastes good. And, you know, in our case, connects them to their youth and core memories they have of soda as a kid, but with a product that's, you know, actually much better for them and, and not um, deleterious to their health. And so, yeah, yeah, definitely taking cues. And Coke is, you know, it, it was incredibly good at product placement. If you watch any kind of big movie from the early 90s there's a coke or a diet coke in a scene if not multiple scenes i have no idea if that was paid or organic i don't know the answer to that but we've basically you know now 30 years later you know from the early 90s are trying to do something similar in places that you know eyeballs are today whether that's music videos or on tiktok we're looking at a number of opportunities in in movie world we'd love to get like a great placement in a movie for next year. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of our strategy revolves around just like showing up where the eyeballs are in kind of interesting ways. And candidly, like we're running into, you know, Coke and Sprite and Pepsi on opportunities and in most cases are not able to offer the same kind of financial package that one of those players is or could do. But we're winning some of those because of kind of who we are as a brand and what we stand for. And 
you know, the production companies or whoever is making these, you know, videos want to partner with, you know, a challenger like us in some cases, because they feel like it aligns much more with their audience and their demographic. And that's playing really nicely for us right now. How did you, I mean, you said you went on TikTok, so how did you start figuring out like what your audience wanted to see and how they're, how all they off played in the market? Yeah, that was a journey. So I was not really a TikTok user myself. I try not to mindlessly scroll social media. I, it, I don't probably have time for it. And so when we were trying to figure out as a business, like two years ago, right now, it was sort of just like download the app and make an account and figure it out. And so for us, at least the first step was to figure out our own kind of organic posting strategy, because it doesn't, in my opinion, it didn't make sense to do influencer campaigns on there if they couldn't click to your page and see anything about the business. It would be like running influencer campaigns on Instagram and then doing a swipe up to your website and not having a website. So, you know, spend like six months testing with different agency partners and different creators and meeting with, you know, founders and other marketers and other businesses that I thought were doing a job on TikTok to try to figure out like what you need to do well on your organic page on there. And so, you know, a couple key lessons, you need to post regularly once a day, if not twice a day, and you kind of have to like figure out your content niche which like still rings true two years later. Like even when we do try to make a creator do a video for you on their page, that doesn't align with their typical content or it doesn't look like their typical content. It almost never performs well. And it's the same thing on our page when we try to do even like the more produced content that looks really nice and is running on TV and on other channels. It just doesn't work as well on TikTok because it's not our kind of usual style and it's not doesn't include the like faces of our page that we now have kind of two gals who are kind of like the faces of our page, one specifically Sarah, who's like the host of our account. And yeah, it took, you know, six months of trial and error to get to that point. But once we kind of hit it, you know, you kind of know, right? Your engagement starts going up, followers start growing pretty quickly. And it's definitely now, you know, two years later, if you Google kind of TikTok soda, there's tons of press articles about us. And I think we've done a good job kind of creating our own lane on there. And we're well north of a billion views now on creator videos. So after we figured out the organic side of TikTok, we started waiting ourselves, waiting our way into showing up on other creators' pages, specifically creators who whose content we wanted to align with for various reasons. And um, yeah, we've done over a billion views on those videos in the last eighteen months. So TikTok's been been very good to us. What are some advice you would give to like a brand that is? getting on TikTok, like what are some things that you recommend? Because I think like influencer marketing is changing a lot even now because before you could just pay an influencer and it would be successful. And now it's like going into more of like how could you place a product in an influencer video? So how, what advice would you give to people who are trying to explore that? Yeah. So I think for whatever reason and maybe it was just like the time and who was on that app versus who's on TikTok, but Instagram and Facebook five, six years ago, it was way easier to sell stuff. And I think A, just consumers have gotten much privier to that. And there's a lot more places to find products now than there used to be. And then on TikTok, it's really about like education and entertainment. That's kind of the two core use cases. People obviously go on there to do research on products and discover products, but it's not the core of the app like it was on Instagram. And so as a brand making content, I always tell people like, if some stranger comes across you on their For You page and they have no idea who you are and they kind of see a video that's like advertising your product or being overly salesy, they're just going to scroll by it. Like you have to be educating, entertaining or educating with your own content. It shouldn't just be about your product. And if you go on our account, like we have a bunch of different like kind of content series we do that have nothing almost to do with Olipop. They're just like interesting 
funny videos that kind of show the personality of the brand and, you know, are meant to kind of build kind of brand equity over time and hopefully, you know, show up to new people on there. But I think, yeah, not being overemphasized on your product and selling it is important. And then for us, just like, yeah, what you said before, the name of the game is product placement with content creators. And we're very lucky, like Soda is a very ubiquitous product. It's very easy to include it in like many different types of content as opposed to you know, a bag of like frozen vegan chicken tenders that need to be cooked in a video to show up. Like it, it's much harder to do product placement. Flip side, you can just work with a lot of chefs and foodies and you know what lane you need to play in as a brand like that. But it just kind of limits the amount of content strategies you can have. And we've run some TikTok ads. They really haven't worked as well. We've had more success kind of like boosting our own videos that we're already doing well from an engagement perspective. But like the traditional ads on TikTok have not been you know, is successful. And even we see it in the traffic that we get from TikTok on our site. Very few people from TikTok actually buy on our site, but the data says that in it's like the number one driver of retailer traffic in stores for us is TikTok. So yeah, I think being more emphasized on just like creating good content that like strangers will want to watch as opposed to like always trying to be selling your product and being down to take some risks. I, I see so many brands where like, I think micromanagement or maybe there's like too much involvement for the founders or not enough in some cases. And, you know, you just kind of end up with a very sterile brand page that like no stranger, stranger would ever want to follow. And that's kind of like a death spiral, so to speak. It's just such a different channel than the kind of perfection that you needed on Instagram. TikTok's much more kind of casual, I would say, from for, on the brand side. Yearly email list decay is about 23%. You think you're exempt? But we've seen so many businesses lose their email provider due to high bounce rates. For one client, 21% of the list was invalid. Around 2 in 10 emails, a 20% bounce rate. Thankfully, Zerobound's email verification eliminates bounces with 99% guaranteed accuracy. Visit www.zerobounce.net and use promo code Millennials 20 for 20% off today. There's no easier way to zero bounces. One thing I think you mentioned, I well, you didn't mention, but TikTok drove a lot of retail. I wanted to ask you, what are some things that marking like omni-channel now, like having like having different places where you are selling Olipop, how are you thinking about the marketing strategy from like, boosting D to C sales versus retail or whatever else you're selling. How are you thinking about that as like a multi-channel approach? Yeah. So we, over the last 18 months, have actually stood up an omni-channel team internally. So like Amazon, Thrive Market, GoPuff, those type of channels were sort of in this no man's land internally. And I, I'm guessing this happens at a lot of businesses where there's like one or two people who's like half or a third of their job is like managing those things. And the reality is they need more time and effort and attention than that. Instacart would be in that bucket for us. And so D2C rolls into that. And we're trying to grow that kind of whole business as a segment. But we're, we obsess internally over just like meeting the customer where they are. And the lion's share of our, you know, 80% plus of our revenue comes in retail stores like Walmart, Target, Whole Foods. And so for us, the kind of best, the other kind of asterisk on that is that, you know, for the most part, we sell 30 to $40 12 packs. Online, you can really only buy single cans on like Instacart and GoPuff. And then in stores, we obviously sell cans for right around two bucks a can in most cases. And so from a 
driving trial and awareness perspective, it's just much easier for someone to go in and grab, you know, three cans for five or six bucks versus trying 12 for 40 online. And so the best, the optimal customer journey for us is to get people into stores to try it, you know, hopefully find a flavor two or three that they love and then make it very easy for them to repurchase again through any of these kind of omni-channel digital formats and hopefully end up subscribing on our site where they, you know, there's a number of like bells and whistles and reasons for them to do that. But it's, yeah, we think about it very holistically and we used to spend a lot of money trying to drive first order conversion online. And, you know, that was working really well during COVID. And then those numbers started skyrocketing in terms of customer acquisition costs and retention came down and, you know, just stuff happened as the world opened back up. And so kind of turned off a lot of our acquisition spend and basically inverted everything to be more focused on top of funnel and driving retail. And that's where TikTok's been so critical for us is that it's definitely, I think, the most efficient way to drive awareness and eyeballs. And we use our creators to push people into stores and help with flavor launch announcements when we stick a new flavor into a national retailer. So that's more or less the funnel, if you will. I think the trickiest part is actually the middle of the funnel. And that's something that we're going to kind of focus on more going into next year is like a lot of people know what Olipop is. We've got kind of 6% household penetration now. So six out of every hundred shoppers have purchased Olipop, which is up, I think, 4x from where we were a year ago, which is a crazy crazy amount of growth. And there's many multiples of that who have heard about it or seen it on TikTok and have just never tried it. And so that's where some of like the storytelling and a lot of the like brand marketing kind of comes into play where, you know, you want to convert people from having seen it online and maybe being aware of what it is to not having actually tried it. And so that's, I think, the biggest area of opportunity for us. Yeah, and also like steering them to what flavor that they should try first. Cause I think like if you go to a flavor that you might not like at first, it might never, you might never go back to the brand. But there's so many flavors that are great for you, which is that's like a hard thing to steer. Cause like someone might like all like pop and they try a flavor that they probably would never have drank in the first place because they, they wouldn't have liked it in the first place. So they try and like, oh, I don't like this brand, but really they could have liked four or five other different cans that you have. So it's, that's the tricky part. It's an interesting challenge for us. It's a gift and curse at the end of the day because we, you know, most legacy soda brands like A&W is root beer, right? Sprite is lemon lime. Coke is cola. And they don't offer the whole range. And so Zevia has a whole range of flavors. And then we obviously have a whole range of flavors. So you may not like the traditional soda flavors, but the fruit flavors might be perfect for you. Grape, orange, strawberry, vanilla. And so, yeah, steering people into... In theory, they should self-select and just pick the one that sounds the best to them, but they might not be available at the store they're at. We, for better or for worse, have had out-of-stock issues because of how fast the product sells, and maybe they just pick up whatever is there, they don't like it, and they never come back to the category. And so word of mouth is really important on a brand like ours, and I've actually looked at some platforms that kind of specialize in, in word of mouth marketing. We actually have a platform we use called Kale that allows any customer to go into any store in the country. If they buy four or more Olipops, they can text their receipt into the Kale app to apply to create content for us. We get people into stores, we get them buying Olipop, we get them validating the purchase, we get validation of the purchase, and then they can create content and if they're approved through the app and then upload it to their social media of choice. And we can actually compensate them based on how the video does on a number of different, there's like a kind of algorithm that scores it. And so I'm obsessed with that because it uses digital to drive retail, creates UGC and content. We can license the UGC through the platform if we want, and then creates this sort of like flywheel for us. And we get 
a thousand plus pieces of content across social media platforms every week. And I use a, another app to scrape that data, but it's critical to have good word of mouth and, you know, capitalize on it, I think, as a business. Yeah, I mean, word of mouth is like the most powerful market, you know, the artist to capitalize. So it's cool that you're figuring out different ways to do that. One thing I wanted to ask you as well is you all started in Whole Foods. How did you like start thinking about, okay, we're a healthy, a better for you drink. What is the next step? What store should we go into next? Because like thinking from Whole Foods to getting into like Target or like some other store might be a different, like go against some other people's brands. So how did you think of like going through like these different stores, taking the next step to get all pop in people's everyday lives? I think it's a little less complicated than most people would assume. There's sort of just like this natural progression, especially within beverage where you, I always talk about like concentric circles. You kind of start with the most obvious air quotes consumer, which for us was the call it premium, better for you moms at Whole Foods and Sprouts. If your dad is good there, you kind of take it to the Target and Walmarts of the world. I've been really impressed with the Walmart team. They're very young. They're very innovative. If you go into any of the newer Walmarts, they're beautiful and their assortment's amazing in the grocery sets and they've got great organic produce and all that jazz. So I think a lot of people have misperceptions about Walmart. That's probably a separate conversation. But yeah, we kind of just spent three years building in that natural channel and proving kind of the velocities and the pull through there. And then you take that data to... We had conversations ongoing for years with Target and Walmart. It's also, I think, really important to pull that lever at the right time as a business. There's a lot of CPG brands that go too early into Walmart before they have the awareness and before they have the either the money raised or the marketing dollars to support a big retailer, national retailer like that. And so we kind of made the decision first half of 2022. We rolled out with, it was Target and then Publix, then HEB down in Texas and Walmart within five months. And so like went from like eight to 20,000 stores basically in a six month period. And it was scary, honestly, from a marketing perspective, it was a huge challenge. And I kind of thank the lucky stars. We kind of got TikTok right at the right time because I think it's been the biggest boon for us and those more mainstream retailers. But yeah, it sort of just like builds on itself, right? You kind of lay the foundation and build up from there. And we definitely entered those retail chains at the right time. And, you know, for the next, for us, the next step is like Costco and convenience, I think is going to be a really interesting challenge for us. There's 40,000 grocery stores in the country and there's 240,000 convenience and gas stations that sell, I want to say 60% of the soda in the U.S. So, you know, for us to really become a huge household name, we'll, we'll have to really perform well in that convenience channel. My dream is to have truckers across America drinking all like pop. I think I did see all in pop at Costco this last weekend. Yeah, we're doing a couple of rotations in Texas, Northern California, Southern California, and the Pacific Northwest this summer. Yeah, it was uh, definitely, it was an awesome. It was like right in the front. There was like game ran up, and it was cool to see all in pop there. I'm like a diehard Costco guy myself. So it was, I haven't actually been back in LA since we, we launched there a couple of weeks ago, but. I cannot wait to buy Olipop at Costco. It's very exciting. Trader Joe's is like our white whale. They're obviously very focused on private label. Like 80% of their products are their products. So we haven't been able to crack that code yet, but hopefully we will next year. One question I like to ask every marketer on this podcast is what is a marketing hill you would die? I would just say in general, I'm, I'm obsessive over these kind of new age media channels. I personally just think they're more effective than 
legacy media channels. I think a lot of legacy media gets ignored and people use commercial breaks now as opportunities to check their phones. And I just am so convinced after seeing what we've done over the last two years that product placement is way more effective than very traditional advertising, especially with Gen Z. Gen Z does not want to be advertised to and marketed to and sold to. And if you look at Coke, historically, they obviously did everything. But like PBR is an interesting example of a business that really eschewed traditional media and their whole kind of strategy was hiring these like brand ambassadors that knew the brand inside and out in core markets and showing up at events and doing a lot of guerrilla marketing. And I think they still have never really done like a traditional ad campaign. And I think the best businesses do all of these things. It's not one or the other. I guess the hill I would die on is that these uh, new age product placement channels are higher impact than uh, the legacy channel, but definitely open to debate. And there's merits to both just depending on how you do them. No, I, I heard someone once say to me that like, even before, like there was a phone with commercials, like the most dangerous thing to commercials was someone's neck because they'll just turn their head and go talk to someone else or go do something go have a different conversation. So it's always been the way of like, and then when people had DVR where you can like fast forward, my mom hates commercials. So she like literally like still records shows and still like just skips them, records them just to skip ads. Um, so it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, whether you're skipping ads on DVR or you're listening to a podcast on Spotify and you just can click the 30 second fast forward button through, through ads, it's, or at the beginning of a YouTube you know, video. I don't have YouTube premium. I actually, YouTube and Hulu, like I watch the ads because I'm in advertising, but I would assume most normal people hate the ads and or just kind of skip through them or ignore them. So. The last thing I have for you is where can people find you? What's your favorite Olipop flavor that they should try? Anything like that? I am... Uh... I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I would give a shameless plug to follow the Olipop Twitter account, which I handle. It's my kind of little creative outlet and my side hustle here. I think it's pretty funny. You can make your own determinations. And you can find Olipop on TikTok and Instagram at Drink Olipop, or pretty much Drink Olipop on on all forms of social media. And then I'm like relatively active on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's actually been a pretty good marketing channel for us. I think just you know, kind of interesting data point for people outside of our industry is that a lot of people who work at the brands in this industry are very passionate about it and are often shoppers of this category, this better for you category. And so showing momentum in the business and giving updates on big milestones or big marketing achievements, whether it's our Camila Cabello ad campaign or that music video, we always share those things on LinkedIn because people in the industry love to see them and reporters see it and folks like yourself and people who do, you know, marketing podcasts see it. And so I try to stay, we, we as a business have a, like a kind of a loose, I would say, you know, LinkedIn strategy. So yeah. And then my favorite Olipop, I grew up on root beer and orange and cream, Stewart's orange and cream soda as a kid in New Jersey. So the, our root beer, our orange and cream is like a seasonal. It comes kind of in and out during the summer months. I love that one. I love our watermelon lime that it's incredible. I wasn't even that excited for it, but I'm fully addicted to it. It's actually co- totally sold out nationwide right now. And then I think I can say this, we're launching a ginger ale in August and that's going nationwide at Target and Walmart, September, October. So it's our biggest kind of our widest retailer launch ever. And it's really good. It's very nostalgic. I think everybody has memories of ginger ale one way or another as a kid. So that one I'm very excited for. You need to get them on yeah. airplane. 
Um, that's where I think. I'd say keep an eye on our marketing for that. There will be some uh, aviation nods in there. Um, yeah, great to see your success and how you've been doing. I used to work at stagnation, so like better for you snacks and products always used to be like what I started my career in. It. So it's cool to see Olipop come here. Stagnation was like the route I I used to try. I was on the tasting panel there too. I used to taste like all better for you snacks all day. So it was fun. I always joked when I, I worked in venture, like my job was basically eating and drinking for everything because I you would get you know <laughs> samples sent to the office every day. We funny enough, we don't have an office for Olipop, so whenever we do like product swaps with another brand, I, I often just have them shipped to somebody on the team or just have them sent to my house and I'll just like give them out around LA or try them myself. And yeah, it's definitely a fun industry to be in. I have no qualms about about my career path to date. It's a fun, fun place to be cool to just be working with people who actually give a shit about what they're doing and are uh, kind of tied to the broader mission here well thank you so much for joining out i know you have a back-to-back pods like said for you thank you for joining and i appreciate the insight yeah man nice to meet you nice to connect thanks so much for listening keep tuning in to hear more great insights from the coolest marketers from around the world if you haven't already make sure to subscribe and follow the marketing millennials podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, I would greatly appreciate you giving us a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community. 